On today's show, we are getting to know Emily. But first, a word from today's sponsor, Andre Psyche. AndrePsyche.com is gone, but Andre Psyche on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is alive and thriving. You see, dear listeners, Andre has adopted a minimalistic lifestyle for materialistic things like mattresses, pillows, websites, cars, his hair. However, his creative libido has never been minimalistic, is still fully stimulated and often viewable on social media. Andre is a freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up. It's Andre Psyche the next time you're looking to friend or follow someone outside of your social circle. We also brought to you by Dewey Crush, the taste of summer. Summer's most sought-out and coveted East Coast drink, the Crush, is now available in a ready-to-drink canned cocktail. There are three thirst-quenching flavors, the original orange, the refreshing grapefruit, and an iconic watermelon. Dewey Crush contains smooth premium vodka, sweet citrus triple sec, fresh fruit juice, and a splash of lemon-lime soda, making it the perfect partner to any summer event. So whether you're going to a barbecue, headed to the beach, or just hanging with your homies, crush it with the new Dewey Crush. Now available in Dewey Beach and all over Delaware. Want some more information? Visit DeweyCrush.com. It can be awkward asking for money, but we're asking for money. Please go to our Patreon link in the description and support the getting, the number two, no, the letter U, pod, for as little as $2 a month. This money will go towards the cost of producing, distributing, and improving the quality of this podcast. Two bucks a little too much. Well, here are three, three ways to help. You can push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the pod on. Friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go to Apple. Write a review. Those will cost nothing but your time and are greatly appreciated. Finally. We are looking for sponsors and advertisers. If you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with us. The podcast is downloaded coast to coast across the continental U.S., internationally, and all around the world. So if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever, just message us. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. My cup of tea. And Emily is the popcorn queen of Canada. Thank you so much for coming on the pod, <laughs> Emily, and uh, letting everybody get to know you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for accommodating my pop and schedule. <laughs> pop and schedule. <laughs> are you, like, how many popcorn puns do you just work in daily now? <laughs> I don't know. Too many to count. Too many to count. <laughs> So I had come across you from a former guest who was on this podcast. Um, you were on his and like the stories, uh, it's just insane. I guess like 
my first question is, do you just get tired of telling the story? Is it old people like um, me asking? No, well, that's the reason I have kind of like the hour max. Like I can do it for two hours, but I can do it for an hour. So it's like, no, not really. Cause I feel like in an hour it's good. And that, or even like some of them are even half an hour. And it's like, cause I feel like, especially now with people's attention spans, it's like having a two hour window is like, that's a lot. That's a big, uh, like even as a listener. Right. So it's like, I think doing it for like an hour or whatever is, is the best way to get everything across and something that people can like relate to and everything gotcha. like that. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. It's interesting. I haven't, um, I don't know. I don't study the marketing. I like the long form conversations but I also will go for jogs and work out to podcasts. Like I'm, I'm goofy like that. I'm not into music when I do that sort of stuff. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So like bike rides, um, I was going to go golfing, you know, I'll go golf, listen to podcasts, drink some beer, um, and enjoy life. So I, I look for that longer time to almost get me through like a distance run kind of a thing. Oh, interesting. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I never heard that. Interesting well, or lonely. Go. Maybe I'm just a dork, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Um, so I don't want to jack it up, but basically what I know about you, headline, drug mule, gets arrested, starts popcorn business in jail, and now you're like woman of the year in Canada and getting all these accolades and super entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it started sometimes our biggest accomplishments, our biggest, you know, things that we do that are important happen at the worst times of our lives. And, you know, this was after I'd got mixed up in something as crazy as the drug trade and you know I'd never really thought I would ever be there like you never plan this kind of nefarious situation that you find yourself in and it was obviously the result of bad substances and you know I was dealing with the substance abuse I don't want to say addiction because I I don't believe that I'm an addict but I would just say I was using a lot at that time For to cope enjoyment. with my family and but this guy who you know, wanted me to get, get off the, off the stuff. And I was like, okay. And so I actually trusted him and gave him, you know, he knew a lot about me. And then the whole time he was actually kind of just grooming me to get on this trip. And, you know, I, I'll admit I did, I did ignore some red flags that I saw and which we often tend to do when we just try to see the best in people. And he got me on this trip with him into St. Lucia. And then he says, Oh, we're bringing the drugs back. And you know, that I had, he said, I should have known that this is going on. And, you know, you don't like mess with these people. And basically it was a seven day trip. And by the end of the week, I had two kilograms of Coke strapped to my body and I was put on the airplane, but he had it too. So he was not innocent either. Joint venture four four keys. So I'm not, I think actually, I guess because I'm a teacher contractually, I cannot, I'm not supposed to express any illegal substance use. I have not gotten yes. up to the scale um, to like the harder drugs like cocaine and heroin. And I'm trying yes. to picture, so four keys, it, not Dude, to be Oh, stupid. he had two, yeah, I had two. Yeah, so four kilos, how big of a deal is that for some layman's? Uh, well, it was news to me, but this came with a man mandatory prison sentence, right? So I was just very, very naive and um, didn't really realize the consequences because I'd never planned it. I'd never read the criminal code. Like, I just thought I could volunteer do some community service like I didn't know like right so it was it was a very rude awakening but it was the best awakening that ever happened to me yeah that'd be some cold water slapped in the face I would think for sure yeah what um so you said a, a couple of things I'm curious about the red flags in case anybody listening maybe is in that relationship like does that 
is, is that kind of like a common play in your experience where like dudes are looking to get people who have substance abuse problems, try to clean them up and then almost flip them, use them more as an asset, not as a relationship? Yeah. Yeah. And just really getting like, they know all the right questions to ask to know where you're really vulnerable. Um, and so, you know, we, I actually trusted him. We did some business together. Like, cause at that time I had a social media company. And so like we did some business together and then like suddenly his checks started bouncing. Um, he was supposed to go, like, I, I actually bought a car off him. Like one of the alleged like arms of his business was like buying and selling cars. And, you know, he had the shop, blah, blah, blah. They also did like really cool paint jobs on cars, which is like, I don't know, it's pretty popular up in Canada. I'm sure it is in the U.S., like with racing yeah. cars and stuff. Custom painting, um, for sure. So it wasn't like this weird business that I'd never heard of. It was like, okay, this is pretty common, right? And, but then the checks started bouncing. So, but I kind of ignored them. Cause he's like, oh no, like, he's like, I'll promise this, this check or whatever. And then he's like, let's go on a trip. Like, let's forget about this. Like, I'll have the car ready for you as soon as we get back. And I was like, okay. So that was like, and he already had, like, I had already paid for the car. So, you know, you take 10 grand from a 26 year old. Like, I'm not just going to go away. Like I want my, <laughs> my car or my 10 grand. So it kind of had me on that hook where it's like, you know, I, I wasn't made of money at that time. Yeah. So I was like, I wanted my, what I paid for. And so and I was like, okay, I believe you, you know, let's go on this trip. And was the trip like compensation? So I finally get to get this car. I'm sorry. Was the trip like compensation or were y'all like actually like in a relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, where you're trying to deal with the business aspect, but still have a relationship? Yeah, it was weird. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a monogamous relationship, but it wasn't really that sexual either. It was more of like a, it was like a weird, like, supportive relationship but it wasn't physical huh. but we still like kind of we still really enjoyed each other's presence and time gotcha. but on that trip i was supposed to be his girlfriend uh supposed to be as far as like a story or just like between you two it was like hey let's reconnect and take this a step further um no it was for the story he told me oh gosh yeah and so going down you didn't know like hey i'm trying to get some the, the guy apparently you know you're bringing drugs so that you can get the cash. He's, you didn't know going down, this is the way he's going to get some cash to get the cash back to me. I, I figured that well, maybe he used the 10 grand that I got him to buy the drugs at a low price that he was, and he was just going to sell the the money or sorry, sell the drugs and get the, the money that he needed. Cause I guess I found out later that he was in debt from like some sort of bad business deal. But there's also another side to the story where like, I'll never really know the full truth of what he really said or had or was in the hole for right because so much of what he told me was blatant lies yeah you would assume most of <laughs> that that's how people get manipulated right they just figure out yeah. a lie and what was the conversation like when he's taping kilos to your body like in my head i'm like you have to be talking about some shit as like saran wrap or duct tapes going around you right well we he actually said that we were getting picked up like it was like on a wednesday and he said we were going to get picked up by these people and so I was just silent the whole time because I didn't even want to get in the car, but I did. And then, um, he's like, oh yeah, this isn't like just about fun and games anymore. Like we're here to work. And then I was just, I think I was just in shock the whole time. Like I wasn't excited. I wasn't, you know, I didn't get this thrill of what I was about to do. Right. Like that's what a lot of people, when they break the law, there's a thrill and like, there was no thrill there for me. Like I just, we went to this house and there was, it was occupied by a number of other individuals and there was drugs on the, in the wall, like already pre-packed. So this is like obviously a house where people would go pick up 
drugs and get and then they get like um you wear these like bike shorts and then there's like a little pouch in the bike shorts one in the front and one in the back and you oh, just okay put it underneath the dress and my dress is so ugly the dress. <laughs> That's, like you were forced to wear an ugly dress or yeah it's hideous it's so embarrassing that's the most embarrassing part of the fashion <laughs> But I let myself laugh at it now because laughter is actually very therapeutic. It copes. It helps you to cope, no doubt. Mm -hmm. And so then you leave the home and go straight to the airport? Yeah. Like, well, we went to this house twice. The first time was on the Wednesday to get, like, my measurements and pick to pick up the ugly dress. And then, because obviously we didn't, we're not going to have the drugs in the hotel. And then on the last day before our flight, the same people pick us up and bring it back to this house where we get suited up and then they drop us off at the airport and then so in between, to make sure that like we go straight on the flight home yeah right because then i guess you could just take their trust in you a little bit right to deliver it well you don't come. also don't want to mess with them so and they probably don't want you dipping into their stash right <laughs> and what's going on with you mentally in between wednesday and the the leaving day are you, are you um, pretty much nothing i decided to get belligerently drunk the rest of the trip and I would just like leave the resort and get drunk by myself. Um, to just cope with Sorry, it, not by myself, but like I would, like I would go to the beach by myself, but then he wouldn't want me leaving the resort. So we, we actually went out for like a couple dinners and I just got so drunk and he would try to like those whole couple days. He would just like, like, Oh, just, you'll feel better if you just drink more shots. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I will. I will feel a little bit better. So I just got drunk. But on the last day I was sober. Cause like when you go on these trips, like the usually like all inclusive or whatever, like your, your flight home is usually in the morning on the last day. So it's not like I was like, yeah. And I kind of want to experience it sober because I didn't want to try to hide my discomfort really. Like I knew that I wasn't, I wasn't going to be good at this. And so I was like, here we go. Didn't want to fail. <laughs> didn't want to hide your discomfort from him or like you were actually on some level hoping to get caught. From him, and I was also kind of hoping to get caught to show that I didn't want to do it and that I also was bad at it. And they, he shouldn't have put me into this situation because I was ultimately a terrible actress. So there were discussions about like this would be a thing, like a repeated thing. Schlepping drugs back and forth, uh, huh? schlepping coke. Yeah, and that he had done it before. So I was nervous that if I succeeded this time, that it would just it would just be a vicious cycle. And now like these people whoever they had like all my passport information. Cause when he booked the trip, he sent them my passport information. Uh, yeah. That's got like, do you telling and speaking about this? Do you get worried about any kind of like repercussions? No, because it happens all the time. People get busted and talk about drugs. Yeah. And like ultimately he, he actually got like beat up after, I think, because I told like, I told him straight up, like, I didn't want to do it. And he brought me into it anyway. And so it was ultimately his fault for being selfish enough to recruit me into it when he, when I knew I didn't want to do it. And so it was his errors, his flaw. Gotcha. And they apparently did not look kindly on that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's that man. That's such a, um, I don't know. I, I've such little experience other than like Netflix, HBO, like the wire, you know, watching just different cartel kingpin type, hierarchy movies and as much as it gets romanticized as a business it just seems scary as hell 
to me to deal yes. with people because it's the fucking wild west, man. Like there's yeah, people are used to the government supporting them if they need help. <laughs> and, yeah, and like I didn't say any, I didn't even say, I never said his name in the media. I didn't, didn't say like the names of the people. I didn't say exactly where I went. Like I just gave, you know, because I thought that ultimately it was more important to share that. And when I actually started researching it, I found more information on it. So it's not like I was the only one that's happened to that. The, the story is out like this happens kind of all the time um but yeah most people are scared or more, most people are ashamed from like their family to talk about it publicly so mm. it's like nope not, right. not me <laughs> I'll, I'll be a voice i'm not i'm not shamed so then go into the airport how bad are you sweating really bad well like after yeah like when we get through the security he, he tells me that they already know like so the domestic airport security already knows that we have this stuff whether that's true or not i don't know as into like that's something i don't really say that's something i don't really say often because like i don't want to implicate or falsely claim that they know right so but that was just something that he told me almost like people Um, were paid off to let you guys go through yeah gotcha allegedly Allegedly. again i don't know but i know that the flight home was like an absolute disaster and i just i didn't drink though i just what made pretended it, to read magazines. <laughs> what made it a disaster? You're just sitting on a plane. Like once you get on the plane, you got to feel like you made it, though, right? No, because you didn't land in your home country. Okay. Yeah, you made it out, which well, I did feel relief from that, but I also knew that you know it was only half over. Because oh shit, that's right. So then when you land, you got to go through customs on the Canadian side. Mm-hmm. Got you. So you just can't hop off. But I was, I was happy that I made it out of that country. Like I felt like I was just going to go home and whatever happened, happened. But I was just happy that I did what I was supposed to. And I wasn't going to sabotage the operation willingly, like on my own and be like this drama queen. Like, you know, I didn't want to sabotage the operation because then, then it would be my fault if I did something on purpose. Right. So yeah, yeah I just tried to hide it as best I could and tried to act as best I could, but I also couldn't act. So how how much like um just how many people are around where you can hide in plain sight type of thing? Um uh, well on the flight there was people beside me it was like I don't know three to a row or four to a row and I think yeah yeah like he had it too so I mean he seemed fine but I didn't and then when you land at Pearson you know you kind of get off the plane with everyone right and yeah you have this package strapped to your body and you know it's soiled and sweat by this point so squishy and uncomfortable it's so funny that like that's the that that's like what sticks with you man squishy and uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) and so now you're in canada and how do you actually get caught um we go through we get off the plane and so one of the things that he's told me on the trip um when we were down there, was that okay? I'll take the drugs off you when we land at Pearson and I'll put them in my backpack. Cause I was just like losing it. I wasn't like being hysterical, but I was just like, I'm not gonna be able to do this. You know? Um, I was like, can you please just take them off and we get to Pearson? Cause I cannot look a border guard in the face and, and, and pretend like this isn't all my body. Like something is going to happen and I'm going to fail. And so he's like, okay, I'll, I'll go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, like before we go through security and then I'll put the, take the drugs from the, spandex shorts put them in your backpack and then i'll take the backpack i was like okay perfect i felt a little bit of relief but then when we landed he's like oh it's too late now and he baited switched me again so i was like fuck this guy wow. like, fuck the little fuck this i'm just gonna and also that threw off everything like how can how can you hide your body language from that one 
you know, any the smallest sense of relief is now gone. Yeah, right. right? So he, he fucked himself again by doing that. Why wouldn't... No, it's fine. I do. I curse all the time. Um, If it was later oh. at night, I'd be cursing way more. Um, yeah. I, I'm just thinking in my head, like, why not just use the airplane bathroom? Like, you get through, you're on the plane, you can have, like, a book bag or a carry-on, right? Like, why not just switch it then? It's so small, and it's so close to, like, the final seat. Like, like you would have been able to hear it, basically. Like, some oh. sort of riff-rack going on there. Like, you know what I mean? So I was just like, I wanted to go to... And this is what he suggested. He didn't suggest the airport, the airplane bathroom. Okay. No, yeah, right? I Like... If you're the boyfriend, girlfriend, I guess in my mind, I'm like thinking that whole mile high club where like y'all try to get in there, act like you're trying to get it on and then just switch it up, you know, get caught by a stewardess or something. But I guess that would bring attention. You're not trying to have that attention either. Yeah. 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 See, shit, I've already failed in my attempts to be a (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. And no hints on like, hey, when you're going through customs, act this way or say this to yourself or avoid like fidgeting back and forth or stuttering, like no tips no to training. get through. No training. Nope. That seems like a program flaw, man. How do they not have like a standard operating procedure? Just like, or like method I don't know. acting. I think he thought he was so confident, so confident that it would, nothing would go wrong. Yeah. See, I think like I'm taking each night and like I'm rehearsing, like I'm going to dress up as a border agent and like make you approach and like go through the spiel. Do you know what yeah. I, like I would think that would be the better way. I don't know. Yeah. What do I know? <laughs> so then agent can just see it in your eyes or how's it? Um, how do you they actually call get it, they, Yeah. They, you have like a form, like a yellow form that you fill out or whatever. And then they put a number when you go up to the desk, uh, the first desk. And then they're like, oh, whatever. You bring anything back and their declaration card. And then they write a little like a number on it. You don't know what it means. And then um, you have to go get your bags and then you're about to leave, right? And then there's one more checkpoint where you have to hand in those declaration forms. And then they looked at our forms and they're like, you got to go to, got to go to secondary. And I was like, well, not surprised. Damn. And <laughs> just you or you and him? Both of us. Yeah. Oh God, dude. That's I, 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 I'm the mentality like going through and did you think after the first checkpoint you were good or you just, it, you just knew? I didn't know. I wasn't sure. I I didn't think I was good because I wasn't. I was still in the airport. So, but you, I didn't really remember the second checkpoint. But I still didn't feel like I was good. Right. And then yeah. what happens when you go to the secondary room? You just burst into tears. No, Hardly. I didn't even cry. I was just like so stoic. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like they separated us immediately. So one of us. Like, there's, like, basically parallel uh, stations. So, like, I was facing one, and then I saw I couldn't see what he was saying, right? And then they both asked you different questions. And I didn't have any answers prepared for this, so I just, like, said the truth. And the first sets of questions are very normal, right? It's like, oh, like, how long have you known each other? But I was like, I don't know. (laughs) Whatever. And then they ask you, like, how much money you make, and then they ask you about, like, your... I don't know, your hobbies, what have you, like your really what are you partying or, <laughs> and then um and then they're like, Okay, well we're gonna search your bag. And I'm like, okay. And then they're like, Okay, Miss O'Brien, like we just have to ask, um we're gonna have to search you today. Do you have any before we do that, um, we just have to ask a few drugs on you and I was like, I didn't answer and then they're like, Miss they had to ask me again and then I just like looked at the floor and then I stared at them and I said, Yeah. 
and then the weight of the world's off your shoulders or yeah it was i felt such a relief <laughs> like then they're like oh replacing you under arrest i'm like okay geez, like thank god like get me out, get me away from this fucking asshole right but little bit i know it wasn't just gonna be you know <laughs> it's not like your parent like you can't just leave after that like it's it was very uh yeah i got sent to the jail the local jail for the weekend and i couldn't get out until my parents bailed me out okay so, so you- that was like after the weekend it was on the monday had you been arrested before? Once in 2009 for DUI. Okay. Yeah. And then I just like, it wasn't like a serious DUI, but like it was, it was probably the best DUI you can get because you didn't hurt anyone. So. Yeah. I guess I'm just wondering about like familiarity with the system and going through it. So if this was, I don't know, like first weekend, first time ever staying in jail or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think I'd been in the drug tank when I got the DUI once, but it wasn't, like, at the detention center. Yeah. It's just a drug so. Damn, dude. <laughs> and, and did you get to talk to the guy in between? No. Nope. No. Ever again? Speak to him? Uh, he actually called me, like, when he got bail, he called me, and I just, I actually talked to him because I didn't know who else to talk to. So I was in such shock. And even though I wasn't supposed to talk to him, that I did. Yeah. And there wasn't some like super fancy, like you would see in Ozark, this lawyer coming up to make sure that you get off or get some good deal. Um, I know my dad got a lawyer. Oh. My dad, uh, yeah, thank God for good parenting, right? And supportive parents. <laughs> yeah, but that- But they're not worried about me, you know? It's like, they know that I was like a good kid, but they also knew that I was kind of struggling with certain things and I did kind of live I don't want to say a risky life but I was very impulsive with certain decisions so this was the one that just kind of caught up to me gotcha and what um conversations with the lawyer what were those like oh, I was like hearing a lot of shit <laughs> <laughs> but I still didn't know what a lot of shit was I was like I was, I was, I was like when can I go to Boston <laughs> so ignorant like no idea I had a trip planned to Boston in August and I was like, oh, well, I just have to wait for another car date. Like, whatever, you know. No. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not how that works. And so how long is the case? Or the lawyer just pleads it out? Yeah, it ended up being two and a half years. Because then we also had to build my case. So obviously I wanted to plead guilty because I knew that I had basically done it regardless of the extenuating circumstances. And I thought that making it trying to plead not guilty like would just cost me more money and I like it was just putting so much stress on my whole family and I just wanted kind of wanted to learn something and I knew that like of anyone that would go to jail I could learn something from it so I began to develop the mentality that this was going to be something that would change me for the good and not for the worse prior to actually going to prison because I began to plan everything plan my sentence and you know I, I actually met some people that had spent time there and they kind of gave me the lowdown, uh, even on like very small detailed things, like what kind of shirts are you allowed to wear? And like just very small little rules that you'd never know from a TV show. Right. Um, so I planned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Two and a half years, man. That's a long time to wait for the consequences. It was really to long. It was really long because it was just like, um, like obviously I was still around alcohol. I was still around, like I still did a bunch of blow and cause I just, there was like that period of shock and just like feeling so misunderstood. Right. 
And then there's people that are like, oh, you're probably doing this the whole time. And, you know, there's that kind of group. And so that made me really mad because I didn't. And just people trying to, like, take everything that you've done in your whole life, like any trip that you've been on before, and try to be like, oh, were you doing it this time too? You know what I mean? And uh, it's like, fuck you. Like, now it's a label. You know? That's all I am. So it exasperated, like, my habits, actually, just, like, that whole pro- that whole period. And then finally, like, I knew that when I was going in, I was like, all right, I'm done. Time to go. Man, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking of myself. And like, I don't know if I'm super ambitious. You seem super ambitious. And I'm like, two and a half years of treading water and preparing, like like just moving forward in life, it would eat me the fuck up. I'd have to, I think yeah. I'd, I'd have all sorts of shitty coping mechanisms because yeah. I wouldn't be able to not be able to plan for year three, knowing yeah. Yeah. You can't plan really your career. You can't really plan anything. Right. Like you can just be, yeah. but then I realized being in a toxic state of negativity and being in a state of hate and denial was just making it worse. So like it was actually, I actually got in trouble when I was on house arrest because I was on bail and I went out when I wasn't supposed to and I got, and I got caught and then I got put in jail for another night. And then my lawyer was like, I'm like, you get caught again, like disobeying these rules, even though they seem ridiculous, like you're, they're not going to let you back out of detention and you're going to have to stay in detention until the sentence. And I was like, no, fuck that. So kind of changed a lot after that. And that's when kind of the planning started and I started exercising again and just, um, you know, I didn't get completely sober. I don't want to say that because I definitely, before I went in, I definitely had a big farewell to the, substance <laughs> party um but yeah you know and I was like you know what no one can tell me how to deal with this because they aren't me and they aren't going through it so I just have to deal with it as it comes every day as it comes mm-hmm. and there's going to be good days there's going to be bad days there's going to be bullshit that's said and there's going to be true shit that's said and you have to really realize how to process the stuff that's real and um you know, take, take into account all the people that have helped you along the way. Yeah. Did the, the reputation, did that matter much to you that people were labeling it or was it more like people close to you were thinking? Yes. Yeah, well, people close to me, like I didn't really care about the reputation because I wasn't talking about it publicly. Like I didn't want anyone to define the narrative and establish a narrative without my consent and without proper information so i and it's also part of like the court case so you're not supposed to say anything gotcha mm-hmm. damn so then even the people see that would be really if you're already feeling vulnerable you're already feeling hurt you already feel like you fucked up and now you feel like you've let down or your trust circle whatever you want to call it doesn't believe in you anymore like that's yeah. that that's a terrible place to be mentally yeah <laughs> yeah it was really really rough especially sure. and how old are you at this point I was 26. Yeah, man. So that's developed, like, that's exactly when you're, you're supposed to grab life by the balls. <laughs> like you're making your claim in the but world, you know? Not grab the eight balls, which is what I, what I did. <laughs> Good one. I know. Damn, dude. Master of my eyes. How did you um, meet up with people who had the uh, information to help you understand or help you start planning? It was actually an accident. And this is like why I truly believe in, in karma because like I, I still worked on my business. I still had a very successful business. So living with that anxiety of 
that that itself is anxiety driving enough because you know you're everywhere you drive you know you're like are people coming after me like there's definitely a period of that um oh you really and then thought so I, that. I was actually at a workshop i was at a work i was at a speaking engagement i was speaking about something on a panel and then one of the sponsors for this event was um a coffee a com- coffee company called clink coffee and they were there and they actually employed people that had been incarcerated and i was like this is so weird how these this group is here like and then i ended up talking to this person and she i didn't tell her at the time but she, like, I didn't tell her at the time that I was on these charges, but she told me straight up, like, I was, this happened to me, and it was the exact same thing that happened to me. I was like, what are the chances of, like, me, you know, going forward with my life and just trying to push through and then dealing with this situation and then having this one event where this one sponsor is with this one girl who's been through the one jail that I'm going to be to for this one offense. Like, if you think about it like that. Like, literally the, the same thing happened to her. Oh, slim. Huh? Yeah, literally she got caught bringing coke yeah and then so she worked at this coffee company because she was a former inmate and that's what the coffee company did that is fucking insane yeah and now we're like really good we're still really good friends what what were you before this successful business you had said like social media manager yeah i had a social my own social media company and it was like a boutique agency uh in toronto and i don't know how i did it but i just made it really successful and I worked with like I went from working with like the local stores to like working with retired NBA players and um TV stars and stuff so it was I guess like I had this way about me and the way that I worked and my energy that got a lot of positive feedback and so and it it social media stuff like you're just helping them to get followers brands speaking business opportunities or what does that even mean uh it was more like content creation and then yeah we Obviously, with content creation, you want to increase your the attention that's spent on your site, so or on your profile. So, and then also like responding to people, and so people will be like, "How do I launch like a new like if it was a restaurant or something?" Then you'd like every new menu you'd go in, and you'd have your food photography. Like for every kind of industry, there's like a special kind of photographer, and so I'd have like a roster of different photographers that I would use for different projects. Oh, project manager type thing too. Yeah, and so like yeah. we we book a time with the restaurant, and then we go over the campaign and take all the pictures, get free food, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and then I end up like doing work with like Charles Oakley. Like I did, um, there was something, what was it called? It was like the there was like Ontario, there was like an Ontario basketball league, and I guess like Butch Carter was running it, and so I met someone through one of the restaurants that I worked at who was like kind of running this league, and so I ended up like spending a day like filming and doing shoots with this basketball league, Canadian basketball league, yeah, CBL. And, like, Charles Oakley was there. And I was just hanging with Charles Oakley. <laughs> What's he like? To, cause dude, I, like, I'm just hearing his interviews and seeing him get kicked out of MSG. Like, he seems like the dude you yeah. don't fuck with. They're bullying him that day. I don't know how to prove. I know he's always got a little bit of spark to him. I think that's why I like him. You know, he sounds yeah. like feisty. It seems like it, dude. Like, I couldn't imagine being that big and, like, feeling, like, having that chip. Dude just walks around like he has a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> Well, not that day. We ate pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Good hang. What's he like to hang out with? Well, I didn't like spend the whole day with him, but like, cause most of it was like work. So I'm not going to be like, Oh, I want to talk to Charles Oakley the whole time. But like, I just like, we just like had a couple of conversations and it was just chill. Casual stuff. Did you, um, yeah. did you hear? I don't like, get, I don't get like celebrity syndrome at all. I'm not going to be like, Oh, can you sign this? You know, like I, I didn't even take a picture of them. Like, cause I didn't, I want to be professional. So Gosh. I don't really get like that. 
So yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to not get like that. I'm such a fucking fanboy of anything. Like anything and everybody. I'm just such a fucking fanboy. Um, just the, the Charles Oakley story. Did you hear about, and this is such a weird aside. Did you hear about any of the beef between like Matt Barnes and Kwame Brown, Gilbert Arenas, Steven Jackson? No. All right. So they have a podcast, um, All the Smoke. Do you know oh. who Matt Barnes is? Steven Jackson? Kind of know. So Matt Barnes is real famous for like a Kobe video. Um, this would probably be a real long and shitty thing for nothing real special. But they have a podcast. Gilbert Arena, Arenas comes on. Kwame Brown was the number one pick when Jordan is with the Wizards. And he's straight out of okay. high school. Gilbert Arenas is talking about how Kwame Brown mentally can't hang. Kwame, uh, Brown, Kwame Brown hears this and just starts lighting them the fuck up on IG Live. Like he's posting videos as he's drinking Red Bull in his truck down in Texas and like going to threaten them. And how does Charles Oakley connect your thinking? Because Kwame Brown says Charles Oakley was brought in as a mercenary because Michael Jordan thought he wasn't tough enough. And Charles Oakley's job was just to beat the shit out of Kwame Brown every day in practice. Oh my God. <laughs> and you're like, damn. Kwame Brown's like seven foot 280. And Charles Oakley's large. He's not that large. But that's the rep, man. He comes in and he's like, I'm going to fuck you up. Like, we're going to play hard. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I look at Charles Oakley and he'd be a great grandfather to have on my side. Yeah, for sure. Sorry. That, I don't know why I, that's why I'm such a fanboy because I find stuff like that interesting. So panel speaker, let me try to get back on track and stay focused. Panel speaker, and you're getting some tips from this lady who was also arrested trafficking yeah. drugs. Yeah, kind of became acquaintances at the event and then I actually went and visited I gave her my card and I was like, I found this like really interesting, like not really saying what I was doing. And then I went and visited like where they, where they ran their business and stuff. So I was like, I wanted to find it because part of what I did with my social media business was support like smaller, like more like nonprofit kind of style business. And I, I would pick one per month and I would just do it to support them. Like, and I knew that this was like a, it was under like an organization called the John Howard Society. Okay. So like I knew that like a big budget for that kind of stuff. So what I did is like, I went in and I was like, I want to help you grow this business. Cause I, I really like it. And so I did like all this free photography for them. Cause I was like really part of something that I like to do is help people. Right. And, and then, and then as me and this girl started to get close and chat, I was like, I, I was like, I can't hold this in anymore. I was like, I want the same charge as you're on. And then she's like, Oh my God. He's like, she's like, don't worry. Everything will be fine. Um, she's like, you got me. I'm going to help you through everything. And so she was like, my godsend and, yeah, now we're still really, really close. Yeah, I couldn't imagine hearing those words from someone with the experience of, like, everything would be fine, how comforting that would be. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's still not a joke, but, um, you know, nothing is a joke, but there are ways that you can incorporate joy and laughter even into the most shittiest times of your life. No doubt. And so what kind of insight is she giving you? Oh, just, like, little, just little rules, like, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, like what the food's like there, what the, what to plan, what your family visits. And she even like talked to my family members. So, um, just cause with prison, like you think the only rules are what you see on TV and there's not, there's so many like little rules, like, Oh, you can't send glitter in mail. Like you can't use glue in cards and, huh. um, like how long do the visits take to get processed? And, yeah. Just like little stupid rules that, um, you never really hear about cause they're not, in, they're not interesting to the normal person. Right. Like, yeah from a media standpoint, from, from an entertainment standpoint. Yeah. But if you're in there and all these like simple freedoms that you can easily take for granted, like fucking glitter and glue or two examples, yeah. I'm like, damn, really? Yeah. Like if I, if my daughter was making you a card, 
there'd be fucking all sorts of glitter and glue on there to encourage you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What? Ugh, fuck, man. So then you actually, how, the two and a half years, did you know it was going to be two and a half years of treading water? Or was there a no. moment where the lawyer was like, hey, week from now, this is what's going to happen. You're going to turn yourself in? No, I actually knew that I was going to prison like about a year and a half in. And then six months later, I knew the amount. And then six months from that, I like I had my sentencing date. So that's like when when it's, it was something called a joint submission. So like the the prosecutor, I like can are you in Canada? I can't remember. No, so Delaware. That's why that's okay. why I'm kind of okay. curious too. <laughs> yeah. It's fine, man. I'm like I, I'm curious about the Canadian system and how it would match up. Yeah. To what I think. Yeah, so it was called a joint submission. So when the prosecutor and the criminal defense submit the same amount of time, um, that usually the judge won't argue with that. So they were going with a joint submission of four years. So that's that's why it's taken so long because your lawyer is basically bartering with the we would call a district attorney. And I had to go to like a lot of like I did like a lot of like um, reform like programs and stuff just to build my case and also prove that I you know had a successful job, successful education, successful. Life pretty much up until that point. Got you. Because then it would be, it would make less sense to put you away for longer if you're a productive person in society. Yeah. Basically is what you're pitching. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I, fuck, I still can't wrap my head around that long of a process. Like, what'd you do that night, year and a half in, where you're like, all right, definitely going to jail. Don't know for how long, don't know when, but I know I'm going to jail. I think I probably got drunk. What's your drink of choice? What are you drinking up there? I was, at the time, I was drinking Tito's Vodka out of Austin, Texas. Yeah, that's big around here too, man. Um, I don't know how it got so big, but... It got so big for me because I never got a hangover because it's so it's distilled so many times. So yeah. I could like crush a bottle of it and get wasted and then like wake up and do it all again. That's actually a pretty good point. Now that this I'm is not, you know, I laugh now, but I wasn't really laughing at the time. Yeah, And then as you're getting... What kind of drunk are you or were you? Um, in the beginning, I was like a sad drunk and I was just like, I wouldn't get angry at other people. I would just like get angry at myself and hide in my room. Oh, damn. So you're just. Yeah, like I don't, la- I don't lash out at, at other people. Like, but at the same time, like I would hang out with people. I would get drunk with people that wanted to support like my vengeance, you know? So you're hanging with people that are like, yeah, like, let's fuck this guy up, you know? And I was like, yeah, you know, it just made me more angrier and made me just focus so much on getting my revenge and not my recovery. How close did you come to making some really poor choices revenge wise? Cause I'm spiteful and I'm petty and that would be so, especially if I'm drinking and you fucking hit the whatever 2am time. Like it's, God, <laughs> it, would, um, it would be terrible. I never did anything because I didn't want to, immerse myself in that world even more. Um, but I definitely made poor choices as to like, you know, still ignoring my rules and thinking I was above the rules. Um, definitely had a sense of entitlement. My sense of entitlement was more enhanced because of the denial that I was still in. Mm. Well, you know, I'd even, go- I figured out a way to like pack my phone so that it made it look like I was calling from my house phone when I wasn't even home. Like those are the lengths that I would go to. Oh shit. I- I spent so much money on Ubers because I refused to drive anywhere. Well, obviously because I was drinking half the time, but still I didn't want to get caught in my own car leaving the house. So I would just like Uber everywhere. So it's like you can use your creativity for, for good or bad. And, you know, I think at that time I, I was using it to support my entitlement that I had done nothing wrong or that I 
I'd done wrong, but not the, this amount of wrong. Yeah. I, the, I, the entitlement's an interesting word um, to me because I feel like a lot of people, when they do get in trouble, it not to call you a Karen, but it would be the stereotypical Karen of like, do you know who I, and it's all about the me at the moment versus understanding the totality of what's yeah. going on. Well, I just like felt like I would like, I felt like I'd been, and I was hurt too, right? Like when someone that you trust and know and selfishly does this to you and they definitely knew the consequences and then they just abandoned you. Like I had, there's an abandonment too, right? Like he gave me no help. He didn't pay for any of my legal fees. Right. And it's just like, I was left alone. And then I had these charges and thrown into a world where I'm just incredibly misunderstood. So, I mean, there, there's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. How? So when you go, when you go to prison, like, are there, like, are there other professional educated people around that you're making and building relationships with? Or are yeah. you like a one percenter and you're feeling wicked isolated? Um, no, actually like what, what I noticed was that for my offense in particular, it was people that had never committed a crime before or had never been to jail before in their life. So that's what drug mule recruiters will do. They'll look for people with no record who are very naive, right? Uh, you know, someone who's committed crimes all the time, if they want to mule drugs, they're going to be like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing that shit. I'll go to jail. Yeah, too much. None of us knew that. <laughs> um, and then there's also people that are in prison for things that happened due to, I think, like self-defense, right? Which is another whole area of why people misunderstand women that are incarcerated like half the time they're defending their life or their kids from an abusive partner or something and then um then there's also the mental illness more most people have the mental illness first before the crime right um, but it's treated as a crime yeah so i i didn't think about asking this either but when you um said first time uh, offenders how much were you standing to make like was there a number if you got the drugs that was across? me no he was he was Making something. I just want to go home. Holy yeah. Shit. Yeah. yeah. That, God, that's terrible. My my payment was that my car was going to be ready when I got, like, but that wasn't like necessarily a payment. That was just something he owed me already. Yeah, I was. That's what I'm thinking, right? Like you already <laughs> gave the ten grand up, so to get what you want by just yeah, doing yeah. That. Never got the ten grand back either. So no. Did you take him to court? Do you think about suing him? <laughs> no, I I want nothing to do with him. That's my true freedom. Not giving a fuck about him anymore. Yeah, right. No right. Space it's worth that. its weight in gold. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Um, how are you? Because um, you seem very friendly. You seem good energy. Do you like, was there advice about when you're going to prison? Hey, be bubbly. <laughs> hey, be stone faced. Make one friend. Um, Were there like relationship dynamic advice? Like, I'm really good at, at assessing energy and, and environments. And so, like, I knew that talking about myself isn't something that was going to serve me well so you, I just honestly went in there and I was quiet and I listened and I talked to people if they talked to me and once we had like a, a talking kind of relationship then I would talk on my own like instead of waiting for them to talk to me but it's you just kind of like live and learn it's like going, I, I saw it as like going to another country you know it just has its own language borders customs clothing currency yeah right and because I traveled so much I just Thought like I was going to another country. I didn't see it as like the other. It was just going on a trip, but I can't leave for a year. <laughs> Sentence for four years, and did you wind up serving a year or how much of the four? No, I'm serving four 
total, like, um, but just in different ways. So the first is you serve inside like a jail, jail, like a prison. And then you have to, depending on your behavior and if there's any issues, like you can either get parole or not. And you're eligible for parole after one sixth of your sentence in Canada. Okay. So, but that, but that's not living on your own. That's you've got to live in a halfway house first for six months, which is like so annoying in itself. Like you got curfews and you have to call every time you change a location. You have to call from a landline and like who has landlines. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's that. And then if you pass that, then there's, um, then there's full parole. And like, obviously your parole officer has to know where you're going, where you're staying. They have to come see the house. The person that you live with obviously can't have like a criminal record, which I think is pretty, I think that's pretty fair. Like, I don't want to say fair, but like, that's pretty expected. Gotcha. <laughs> so yeah, they just don't want you associating with things that would, uh, I don't know. Yeah. That would, that would ha- hamper maybe your, your success. Right. So. And was that the process for you? So you did a sixth of your time, then you were able to get to a halfway house. Um, I did a year. So I did a, quarter of my time gotcha so why do you think you didn't qualify to get out on the sixth i did it's just a halfway house were crowded which oh. wait <laughs> dude that's gotta be i don't know is that frustrating sitting there waiting i got out for christmas but then i couldn't even actually go to my house for christmas i'd say that way <laughs> yeah and what was halfway house christmas like honestly like it was actually really nice because at that point i'd got i'd know I got to know everyone, right? And so there's nice groups that came into the halfway house who like played music for us and a, a church group came in and, and cooked our whole dinner. And so it wasn't like the worst place to be. It was actually really nice. And it was, I knew that I, this wasn't ever going to happen again in my life. And I, so I just wanted to try, just try to see the, the beauty in it. And that beauty was that, you know, these people were actually happy on Christmas and well, maybe not the happiest that they've ever been, but they felt loved at least or at least cared for that's the mentality that you just said of like i knew it wasn't going to happen again and almost just embracing it as an experience more so than a life to me i wonder how common or uncommon that is with people going through the the correction system yeah yeah because i I think if you could shift that mentality man and people could just figure out a way um i don't know down here it seems so punitive in america so much of the crime seems profit driven, which really pisses me off. The older I get and the more I find out about it, um, they're incentivized to have people want to be attached to that system. Yeah, absolutely. And like, at least a lot lot of it is coming to light, especially in the last four or five years, which is good. Like I tell people I could have gone to prison at a better time because if you sent me to prison 10 years ago and I tried to do this, it would have been way more difficult to get heard or even noticed. But because there's kind of like now a snowball effect with proof, Right. Um, I can still carve my own path and do my own unique thing, but with supporters already there. Mm. Yeah. Cause is it, it, does it fuck with you? Like, so are you classified as a felon? Is that how Canada works? Convict? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. No, so, it's not a felony. It's a, yeah, it's a federal crime. So, okay. So, so like in America, felon. Resident of the prison. Resident of the prison. So felon's like a real trigger word for in, in America because it limits your rights and opportunities. What is? Felon. 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 Oh, okay. So like we have felonies and we have misdemeanors. Yeah. Right? And that's what um, – I'm just wondering like it's really – wondering how – We have summary and, summary and indictable. 
Okay. And is indictable the higher of the two, the more serious? Yeah. So the, the DUI was a summary offense. And so that's why, I didn't, you know, it just got like a year, but then it would have been an indictable if I caused more physical harm or right. something like that. Right? Yeah. So, that's similar here. Um, yeah. Okay. But does, so then being indictable, does that, I mean, you're branding it now, which is an awesome use of it. But if you weren't having that brand, how would that like limit your future? Uh, well, first of all, travel, you can't really travel to, well, to the U S right. Um, Oh really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, you can't. I didn't know that. Oh no. Oh no. I'm, I'm going to work on getting a waiver, but like, you know what that costs. Right. So, um, yeah. And then what was I going to say? I was just wondering about being indictable, how that would affect if you weren't putting it into your brand and you just had to like go for a job application. So in America, again, you ever been convicted of a felony? That's like the big wording on job applications. And Aren't they trying to ban the box down there? Uh, I If they are, I've not heard about it. Oh, ban the box. Ban, ban that box that asks that question. Okay. Is that like <laughs> a, a thing? Like a movie? Yeah, yeah. So one of my friends, her name's Sherry Garcia. She runs an organization called Cornbread Hustle, which I think is also in Texas. And um, she like fights. She basically has a huge staffing agency now. For all of these people that have been incarcerated or been convicted and were limited because of this this box that they have to fill out. And so right. like now she she actually did so well over COVID because they started like a cleaning company. And so. Um, yeah, she's like all over the news and she's, she does fantastic work. So she's actually been a real help to me and kind of figuring out where I want to go and how far I want to take this and how many branches of the comeback can, can we really make? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. But I know it's 10 years, like right currently in Canada, it's 10 years before you can apply for a pardon. Oh, so you have to be indicted, labeled indicted for 10 years. And then a pardon means you're free of the crime or free of the label. Like it's um, off your record? Yeah. Free other, like it comes off your record. Okay. Interesting. Except when you travel to the U.S., the U.S. can still see it. So the U.S. does not recognize Canadian pardons. That is so <laughs> interesting, man. How did, like, do you know so why? Lame. Yeah, right? Like why or how that is? Like how has that not been negotiated? Um, just because it's easy to keep it in place. Right. With these, with these structures and limitations. So, yeah. It, it's so damning, man, because I can't imagine how many people get a serious charge, don't have the wherewithal ambition or help to overcome it by creating their own brand or business. And now it's like, I, I guess I'll be an hourly employee for the rest of my life. Like it just, it seems terribly limiting. Yeah, for sure. It definitely is. And that's like one thing that I'm working with, like, uh, with MPs on, like in in Canada right now, is kind of changing that legislation so that it's not so long, right? Because um, it actually makes it worse, and it just it may it makes it more likely for someone to resort back to to criminal activity. Or, yeah, because like you have less options, you have less yeah. opportunities. Yeah. So where did popcorn come into play? Did you go in knowing you would do this tasty popcorn thing? No, not really, but like it was a popular snack, and so I just I liked it. People liked it too, and said it was a popular snack. <laughs> I thought you'd done like market research or something, man. When you're preparing 
I, I guess in my head, I just thought like you did some sort of market research and were like, oh shit, gourmet popcorn. That's the way to go. Um, I did when I was in prison. Like I didn't like, I knew that I was going to go to prison and, and think of something. Like I thought writing a book was just obnoxious. I was like, I don't deserve to tell my story yet. Like I didn't do anything. Writing a book is just telling your own story. And like, what have you done besides tell a story? So I was like, yeah. I don't want to write a book. Like it didn't mean I'd done anything except committed a crime and, you know, gone to prison. And what was the point? So I knew I wanted to do something more than that. And I also knew that I was very entrepreneurial and I also knew that I was ready to like harness my creative skills for good. And I was going to go into this as like a learning experience. And so, um, when I got to prison, like the first thing I, the first thing I noticed wasn't really the food. The first thing I noticed was like the people and the stories and the anxieties and like just how like they came from such trauma and horrible situations and how like their crime really didn't reflect them at all. It just reflected the the environment. Mm. And I didn't think this was really fair. And I also didn't think that the prison system helped people in their recovery. Like if someone committed a crime because of their substance abuse, it didn't help them get sober. It just punishes you. And then it also subjects you to horrendous abuse, sexual abuse. I think strips, strip searches are, a horrendous form of sexual abuse, um, mm. especially since most women in prison have been victims of it. It just perpetuates the trauma. Um, it's dehumanizing. Like it even goes as far as like, you know, guards will comment on, on women's bodies and uh, just make them do very derogatory things. And like that, I felt like was just horrible. Um, You're witnessing and then this I also or did, experiencing this? Huh? You're witnessing this or experiencing this or they're coming back and sharing these stories with you. Yeah. They shared it with me. Like I've never, like I've gotten drunk and definitely gotten taken advantage of by men. Like, but and I said, that's one of the reasons why I actually started doing cocaine. Cause I was like, I didn't want to be more alert and I want this to happen. Um, but I never felt like I was afraid of being like, stripped like I didn't care I was like whatever here's my body fuck you like I would, I'm more like would do strip tease to be like fuck you so but like a lot of women don't have that that confident like not the confidence but for some people who have just been horribly abused their whole life sexually and their body's just been a tool for other people I can see how damaging that that can be on on them when you're forced to just take your clothes off all the time and you know just be exposed and have people commenting on that and, and that's even like- when you like even when you get like your period or whatever, like I know, I don't know if you want to hear this, but it's actually very true. When you get your period, you have to actually like remove the device from your inside to prove that you don't have drugs in there in the middle of your strip strip search and then put it back in. Like it's so disgusting. It's, it's vile. It's so vile. They don't have to have like cause to tell you to strip so that they could search you. No, they're just part of protocol. They can do random strip searches. Even when you go to church, you, if you go to church and you come back, you have to get strip searched. So people wouldn't even go to church because they're like, I can't handle this. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that, that's what I'm thinking. Because like, if you're just in the cell all day, why are they doing that? But it would be when you left or went somewhere, an opportunity to smuggle something in. Yeah, but also like they did the stats on the number of strip strip searches and like the amount that they found something was like 0.1%. And that like 1% was actually a piece of candy. It wasn't even a drug. But, so, and I don't want to 
argue it, but I guess I'm thinking like, are the numbers so low because they do it randomly, I think would be their counter argument, right? I think they just do it because it's another form of control, even though they, even though with the data, it shows that it's not a, it's not something that's, but that women are doing. Like most women want to go home and see their kids or their family, especially women in minimum security. Like, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's pretty, pretty scary. Yeah, that's something. Um, if if you haven't experienced it, I I don't know. It's hard to wrap your head around and have, I guess, true empathy to being dehumanized. Like, yeah. Um, the, the period story is insane. Like, that's wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that connects to popcorn in what way? <laughs> you um, notice people and you just wanted to make them have happy and have snacks. <laughs> Well, and then also when we would, we would share me- meals together and talk about these kinds of things. And then we would also talk about jobs and, and work. And I knew that I wanted to start something and then popcorn was a popular prison snack. And one day we were just watching the Super Bowl party and then there was like a, there was some spices in the cupboard. Like we had access to spices and, um, some of the spices were like lemon pepper and dill. And so I, it was like on the popcorn. It was actually so good. And then I ended up experimenting with a bunch of different other recipes, like peanut butter and jam and peanut butter and honey. I put like, um, one of my original recipes is called, I called it jailhouse cheese and I'd get cheese from the craft dinner and oh, put on popcorn. And I was like, why don't I like start a business out of this? Like a social enterprise where I can be open about my story, help others share their stories that they want and also provide employment. And so that's how it all started inside prison. And then I talked to my buddy, Ryan, um, and we'd actually worked on some business prior to that, like with my social media company. So we worked well together. And um, he's like, actually, he's like, Emily, I, I can sense your energy for this. And I really want to help you do this. So we kind of started building it from the inside out. Yeah, I, I can't imagine how much of an advantage the social media experience is for you in this. Yeah. So like hard, yeah. hard, hardest part was like just coming up with recipes or what's been difficult about this? Hardest part was... Um, dealing with the rules of the system and like where you can go and what you can do and you know who you can work with like at first they're like we don't want you hiring people that have records like you can't do that and I was like no the parole board let me out so I have to like go back and forth right be like this is what this is part of the plan oh because you're you're on probation so hiring people with records you're associating with criminals and maybe they're thinking this is some weird way to have like a drug ring or something yeah yeah Yeah. of course got you I didn't even consider that dude yeah fuck but the parole board let me out and they, like I presented that in my parole hearing and they're like, yeah, we, we like this idea. So, um, just a lot of unnecessary things. And, um, you know, obviously like when I started the business, like you don't have a big budget, right? Like your debt, like you, I stopped paying my legal fees, but because I shared story versus the media, I was like, I want to share this in a way that's, that's going to tell the whole story, not just the headline. And so I had a really, really fantastic piece. I actually did the piece with someone I went to high school with. So she knew who I was prior to all of this and she worked at the paper Okay. and it was actually like an eight page spread. And then it got shared in, the, in like the same paper in Toronto and then it kind of spread like that. And then so much support just came in, like, just because they're like, this could have been my, people could have really, like, this could have been my daughter. And, and thank you for mm-hmm. explaining how this happened. It's not just what happened. Right. And, and so um, then when the popcorn part of the article started happening, there, there was local businesses that were like, how can we help you, Emily? Like, how can we 
support you. And so people just would start offering me free space at their events. Like, so you don't have to pay a vendor fee or okay. um, someone popcorn popper. There was a grocery store that let us pop in there for free. And I, I actually did social <laughs> media for them. It was like a local store. So yeah. I like traded like that. Yeah. And so it was really a collectively built business. And eventually we moved from built from making it in-house to a manufacturer um, because we just couldn't keep up with the amount and the scale. And um, so now we are, now we have three distributors too, cause I couldn't keep it in my mom's basement anymore. And so <laughs> it gets shipped all across Canada. We do e-commerce. Um, and I also sit on a panel, like, um, like an anti-human trafficking panel now too, which is, um, which is like a huge initi- worldwide initiative that talks about how these things happen and how we're, how we're tackling different industries to combat, you know, it happening to people. Are are you like, with your experience, does that get categorized as human trafficking? You being forced to... Yeah, but it's it's the crime first, right? And it's very hard. It's easy to prove the crime. It's harder to prove human trafficking. I hadn't considered that, that people being manipulated into bringing drugs across the border, (laughs) that that would be considered human trafficking. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So you're you're nothing but a do-gooder now. Super entrepreneurial, yeah. change the world, do-gooder. Yeah, I do good, but I and I still help people be fierce. You know, like I have no time for don't put up with that shit. You know, like I'm not just gonna let people walk all over me and if people try to troll me, it's like I just don't even answer it. Or I'll make a t-shirt out of it. Yeah. Because exactly why, like especially the area of internet cruelty. It's, it's even scarier to share your story. And so this is like what I try to teach people is how to handle that bullshit because there's always going to be, I mean, and, but at, what I notice is as you build and as you prove it, that starts to dwindle off because they can't say shit because the proof is in the popcorn. Because the proof is in the popcorn. Like, do you actually, what do you get trolled about? Oh, some people will be like, oh, classic drug meal story. Good thing she used her privilege to, you know, start another business. And some people are like, oh, you're exploit. Like, people just don't even read the article. And they're trying to be like, I hope you get canceled. Like, you're taking advantage of people in prison. I was like, I was in fucking prison, bitch. Like, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> but I don't say that, obviously. But it's just teaching people how to handle, like, the very – oh, sorry. My battery's dying. Um, how to handle, like, the very ignorant and often cruel internet world because – if you want to change something, you're going to have to deal with that and shut them up. That makes sense. Yeah. So then people look at it like you're not a lot. Like I don't want to like say it's a lot because it's, it's definitely not a lot. Um, yeah. But when it does come, like especially if you're someone that like works with us and you're, and you're, you know, you don't, the last thing you want is to be publicly shamed again. Right. So. Yeah. For an accident that whatever, or for a choice that happened um, yeah. in your past. Yeah. How? Not, yeah, for a choice that happened, not a, not a life, right? So it's yeah, it's, the two are very very different. Yeah, because man, I mean, it, it that's interesting. The trolling part about again looking at the repercussions and the system, the limits the system puts on you because of the arrest. What the fuck else should you be doing than trying to monetize off of your experience? Like, isn't that what everybody does? You have experiences, and if you want to have a business, you try to profit off of that business that doesn't mean you're fake i know it just doesn't make sense even if you have a job you're monetizing skills yeah yeah like yeah what would you supposed to it's it's just such a good use and then if anything it it just creates it it destigmatizes 
the indicted or the felon label. It helps people to understand the person behind the label. Yeah. You know? Exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. See, I thought the trolling thing was going to be way more like sexual in nature for females uh, putting yourself out there. And also very like, I don't like post like photos like that either. Like I don't like post, like I'm very real, like not real, but I don't like post. So a lot of things that would generate those kinds of, like, you know. <laughs> thirst trapping. We call it thirst trapping down here and then people get upset. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, I, I didn't expect it to be, um, to be more about you using the experience. So, sorry. That's why I was taken aback. I was like, I thought the trolling oh. would just be fucking like, I don't know, horny dude saying shit. That's inappropriate. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. All right. Well, Emily, I, I know we had an hour. It's a little over. Let me, um, get you out of here on this. Uh, okay. So I like to end the podcast with guests telling a story. Okay. So can I get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. What? Don't overthink it. Best first for last. So it's What just, do you mean? It's, how do you take it when you hear it? Best first for last? Yeah. Like, first kiss, first Mako session, first boyfriend, first time I did the line of blow. Yeah, basically. First so, time I came out of prison, I don't know. First time I told the troll to shut the fuck up. <laughs> whatever you think would be a cool story. So I just call it best first for last because it'll be the last thing people listening get to know about you. Okay. Um, I guess, like, the best story was that the warden of the prison let me out as an inmate and this had never happened before ever um but i i had support from the halfway house and people at the staff in the prison the warden let me out of prison to go support to go um promote my popcorn business so that's how different this kind of thing was and to see that kind of support really shows change within the system and i had a security guard the day you know i had to be taken like supervised even in the bathroom when i was at this event but it just shows like that tenacity and having a good heart and a good will to work and just defy the odds and you can truly get to anywhere you you want to go. How did that happen? Like, how did you convince the warden to let you out? I wrote a letter and I had support from the social workers inside the prison. And this was something that was completely different. And I think the warden at the time saw its potential and... I think the the staff of the prison was trying to actually show their support for their inmates in different ways or sorry, the residents in different ways. And so, yeah, it had never been done before. And so we, we didn't know what was going to happen. My paperwork didn't get filled out to the very day of the event, even though they had six months to fill it out. <laughs> but I was like, you said I could do this, get this paperwork done now. <laughs> Sounds like government. I was only going a little bit to, but you know, they, they promised me and like we'd planned like my business partner on the outside had bought some postcards made. I was going to go hang out at the halfway house for a day, supervise, make popcorn. And then it was an event called Take Back Tonight. And it was a woman's empowerment work. And so it was, it was great. It was so it was so exciting to know that this was different, but they were accepting different. And did you actually get to have a conversation with the warden where he's, or the, I shouldn't okay. assume that it's a him. Doctor, we're friends now. She retweets my tweets. No way. He's retired now from the prison now. She re she like retired the same year I retired from prison. <laughs> same way reason I retired from prison. That I guess that would be a great example of like some systematic change. People being open-minded 
to mm-hmm. destigmatizing. I always think about that when people are like, we need to change systems. Like, how do you change a system? What are some action steps? Something as easy, yeah. I guess, is listening to someone with ambition. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, so people want popcorn from you. What do they do? Comebacksnacks.com. And then you can order right through our website. Awesome. And then if you're in Canada, there's like a bunch of locations in Canada, but we're going to be in the U.S. soon. We just got our trademarks. Okay. Trademarks yeah. to, like, again, I don't know why that matters. Trademarks to use the name Comeback Snacks. So trademarks are kind of the first thing you want to file for before you start selling products somewhere to make sure that you can sell it legally under that name. Oh, because if someone else owns the name, you cannot. God, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, or you don't want to get sued. Oh, okay. No doubt. <laughs> not, not on a former inmate budget. <laughs> <laughs> all right emily thank you so much for the time thanks for organizing I'm glad we could do this sorry it was such a wild morning but you know that's life man my life is no doubt all right good luck going forward man thank you <laughs> thanks to andre psyche for supporting the getting to know you pod listeners search him up what else are you doing right now the podcast is over andre psyche p-s-y-c-h-e on social media Give them a follow just for the fuck of it. Thanks to Dewey Crush, the summer's most sought out and coveted East Coast drink for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Bring a case of Dewey Crush, the delicious, refreshing, ready-to-drink canned cocktail with you for your next summer event. Why? So you can crush it. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. Please, dear listeners, Go to our Patreon. Support the pod for as little as $2 a month if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or would like to just support us in improving the quality, distribution, and production of the pod. It's getting the number two. No, the letter U, pod. If you have not already, please friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we... Would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. How to make it happen? Just DM us, send us a message, email. You could call if you can find my number. Later, listeners.